and welcome to the Off-Kilter Quilt. My name is Frances, and I'll be your hostess. Hello, and welcome to episode 252. Um, look at all these episodes just coming at you in a regular way. It's good. It keeps me on my game. I almost felt like I shouldn't podcast today because I really... Um, like I don't certainly don't have anything finished but I've been working on some other projects instead of well the thing I should do which is finish Will's Clemson quilt but you know what I am actually thinking about sending it out to a long armor um, I'm a little embarrassed to do that because my quilt backs are so funky and I'm I might have to add fabric to the back um, and I, I, my quilt bags just have a lot of seams and they're weird I don't know I had tea with my friend Patty um, who you might know as Elm Street Quilts um, on Instagram and she also has a, a blog and does all kinds of neat stuff and we are both members of the Triangle Modern Quilt Guild and we try to get together to have tea and you know, we talk about life, but we uh, just have a great time talking about quilts. And she had three quilts at QuiltCon, which is pretty amazing. Um, one of which I especially thought should have gotten a hex. There was a hexagon hexagon challenge, and um, I just was sure she was going to get a prize in that. She didn't, but she has a prize from me for a great quilt. Anyway, uh, I was talking to her about. <laughs> fact that I just don't have the heart to quilt this quilt and I'd actually for the first time in my life thought about long arming it and uh I but I just don't have any idea how much that'll cost and you know she recommended that I go to the website of our local quilt shop in Cary Cary Quilting Company and who and the, the, the offers a long arming service and see um how much they cost and it's like two cents per square inch now i i did the math on that and i think with will's quilt it comes out to like 75 dollars which seems reasonable if that's right it's possible that i did the math exactly entirely wrong and it's actually like 250 not 200 but 150 dollars which is i think what i expected so i would have to check my math and then really look at the quilt back and then maybe call over and say listen let me tell you about this quilt back it's got a lot of seams it's not your typical here's two pieces of big yardage sewn together quilt back is funky and they might say fine not a problem or they might say please never come back to our store which I totally would understand um yeah don't <laughs> lose my number um yeah anyway so but it, I'm pondering that because it's just it's a big enough quilt it's like 84 I want to say it's 84 by 88 you know so doing my own quilting on that I just feel my shoulders get tight I just feel the frustration I'm pre-frustrated is what I am with that pre-frustrated and uh, and it's almost worth it to me to spend that money um, to to do it it could be very worth it to me so I am pondering that possibility 
Um, it, but it puts me not not having decided puts me in this weird uh, kind of stasis. Like I feel guilty about doing, working on anything else. I, I'm doing a little bit of this and that, um, a, a, a reverse applique project um, that you know I've been working on for a while, and um, it, it has to do with favorite women artists and doing kind of a name quilt and reverse applique. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's coming along slowly. I that was something that I've, I've worked on before, and finally I'm getting back to. And there were some parts of that, some panels uh, that were really and not not well done. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like when you do a big project like this that's in a, that has a lot of pieces. Um, sometimes you get better as you go along, and so then the, the stuff you were, the parts of it that you made at the beginning, um, are not as good as what you were making at the end. And so anyway, so I'm getting that uh, redoing some of the early uh, reverse applique, and um, yeah, so that's that. So that feels that also doesn't particularly feel like forward movement even though it is and I really like the quilt but the other thing that I'm working on right now is actually a quilt zine and this is something I've wanted to do for a long time now a lot of you are probably probably familiar with zines um, but you might not be Uh, a zine is quite simply a self-published magazine and I am a magazine lover although these days it's funny because so many magazines are available online via my library, which is a great service, um, and it's probably great for magazines, and, you know, and that they, they might, a magazine business is a tough, tough business, so anyway, so I don't buy as many magazines as I used to, I used to buy so many magazines, I love them, but, um, you know, they are expensive, and I have a hard time buying something that I can get for free online, Although sometimes I just want to hold the thing in my hand, the book, the you know, the magazine, what have you. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, but I do love magazines, and I, and I have, like, collections of magazines. I have, there's a great magazine that the uh, Center for Documentary Studies at Duke put out in the 90s called Double Take. And I don't know how long they did that. They might have done it for a decade. And when um, the man and I got married, someone gave us a subscription to Double Take for our wedding present, which was great. And and the man is a is a documentary photographer and an art photographer as well himself. So it was a it was a really great gift. Um, and I saved all of them. I have um, a, a an incomplete collection of Quilt Folk magazine. And I have an incomplete collection of Taproot magazine. I don't know if you know Taproot. It's a it's a very earthy, crunchy kind of magazine uh, that is published. It's an independently published magazine. The publisher and editor is Amanda Soul, who uh, was also kind of got her start uh, in the public realm uh, by with her blog called soul mama hold on sorry i got interrupted there um just by someone being alive in my house (laughs) oh the poor people who live in my house the things they have to put up with um yes so um, amanda soul did the soul mama blog which she started 
like in 2008, she's been doing it a long time now. And uh, I think at the time when she started, she had two kids. She's ended up with five. Uh, the older ones are, you know, two of her children are now out of the house. And um, in any event, but very, you know, just kind of she lived on, li- lives on an old, you know, farmstead in Maine and you know did a lot of knitting and growing and chickens and sheep and all kinds of stuff going on and it's the kind of life that I think for a long time I kind of desired and at the same time knew I didn't really have the energy for um, you can only do so much and uh, yeah that was one of the things that I couldn't do but I could live vicariously through Amanda and then she started publishing Oh, I don't even know when it was, uh, maybe 2012, 2013, this magazine called Taproot, which is, again, there's lots of knitting and crafts and um, kind of earthy, crunchy family living does not reflect my own style of living. But again, it's a vicarious thing. And um, I have, I don't have all the, at this point, that's probably, I think the most recent issue is like issue number 47. And I, I am missing a couple chunks in terms of the run of the magazine. And that is actually one of the fun things I do now is like I have an eBay alert and I'm trying to get a full set, but I will not pay outrageous prices. Um, I got a bunch last summer. Someone who was selling them at actually, you know, I always want to say you could charge a little more, but I think she was like $10 you know, plus $3 shipping, which is a, which is great. And so I, I, I picked up a bunch then, but there are just a few, um, you know, that I really, that are so hard to get a hold of. And anyway, but that's, I'm just having fun with that. I don't, I don't think my life will be improved in any way by having the complete Taproot collection. And I have, uh, you know, like the last 15 or so without a doubt. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, magazine person, love them. Actually did a self-published magazine or a zine in the 90s, uh, in the late 90s through the early aughts called Dream Girl. That was a dream slash girl. It was an arts magazine for girls. Uh, and it started out as a very simple thing and it got fancier. It was a very nice, it was a very nice magazine. Um, eventually we just got too busy to be able to, to do it. it. It even got a review, if you remember the Etney Review, another magazine that I liked a lot, uh, which I think no longer publishes. But right as we decided to go out of business, the Etney Review reviewed it. <laughs> it's like, oh, the timing was not good. Um, yeah, So, um, but now I'm working on a quilting scene, and I'm doing it in part because... You know, you got to make what you want to see in the world, right? And so that, that you know, Toni Morrison said that about books. You've got to write the books that you want to read and the books that, that you wish were on the shelves. And when I began writing children's fiction, one of my early books was called The Secret Language of Girls. And it was a book that I would have, that I think I was looking for um, when I was 10, 11, you know, 10 or 11 Um, it's set in the sixth grade and it's these two friends who've been friends for a long time and then a mean girl comes along and um, you know and the closest thing I ever found to it was Harriet the Spy where there's a point in Harriet the Spy spoiler alert uh, where everyone in her class gives her the silent treatment well I was a part of of, of a group of friends where the silent treatment was used 
um, sometimes against me, sometimes against someone else. And I have to say, even though it, it's one of those funny things about when you're a kid, it's like you would think that, oh my goodness, being given the silent treatment by your friends is this very painful thing where they would not speak to me. But when it was my, you know, when it was somebody else's turn, I turned around and gave the silent treatment to that other person. And, you know, I mean, it, it, I will say that by the end of sixth grade, it, that was pretty much over. And, in fact, you know, the the, the person who was, like, the, the real mean girl, the queen bee, um, sort of had lost favor among the rest of us. Not that we gave her the silent treatment, but I think a bunch of us looked at each other like, why are we doing this? So we matured and developed but still so anyway so that that's what the secret language of girls I wanted to write about that because I other than Harriet the Spy at the time I couldn't find a book about that there are more books about that now um yeah so anyway uh I you know as you know I love quilts I love quilt history there's a lot of quilt history and there you know there's a lot of academic quilt history there are the state quilt documentation project books of which I have many um you know and there are obviously a lot of you know, magazines like uh, american patchwork and quilting which have there are a lot of pattern uh, magazines that have patterns and notions and maybe some call you know columns about best practices and things like that there's quilt folk which is a beautiful magazine with amazing photography and then profiles of quilters and they're very nice but they, you know they're not particularly in-depth profiles i think they're well-written profiles uh but the you know what i want <laughs> i want them to do like new yorker style profiles like five thousand word deep dives and it's and the profiles and, and quilt folk are more like 500 words and and you know and I'm I'm so glad to see quilters celebrated and by you know a lot of the quilters they profile are are not so liberties as we call them s-e-w liberties but uh you know so so I think that that's lovely and I think it's lovely that you know it's uh you know they're doing the the magazine you know each issue is is focused on one state which is very cool um you know so you get a sense of 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 different traditions across the country and although you know as a as a country uh you know we become we're, we're quite homogenized at this point i think that uh there was a time where there were really some pretty serious regional differences quilt wise um, and, and I think there's still some just in terms of uh, you might, uh, you know, if, if you are a Southwestern quilter, you might make a quilt that uh, reflected the, the style of a quilt that your quilting elders might have made, that sort of thing. But it's more of an honoring of a tradition than perhaps continuing in a tradition. We just all have access to, you know, the same youtube videos and missouri star quilting company and this and that and this and that that you know we're just i mean in every way except perhaps food uh we we are not so uh regionally differentiated anymore as a culture um so yeah but um yeah but but i i support quilt folk and i think they put out a beautiful magazine um but but i'm what what 
I wish there were more of a sort of uh, what I would call creative nonfiction about quilt making, um, as well as sort of thought pieces or think pieces about quilt making. Um, so the scene I'm working on, uh, you know, I love, I have this idea that I'll do different issues. We'll see how it works out. Um, but the first issue is about sustainable quilt making. It's something I'm thinking a lot about. And as I think I've mentioned already, the Quilt Alliance is uh, planning its fall event, its big fundraiser conference, which is uh, called Quilters Take a Moment. It used to be Quilters Take Manhattan until COVID hit, and now it's Quilters Take a Moment. I think eventually it will go back to Manhattan, but now it's an on for now it is an online event. And, um, and our theme this year is sustainable stories. And so, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, who's doing sustainable quilt making and what does it mean? And of course there, you know, there is a practical side to sustainable quilt making. Of course it's a pra- you know, it is a practice of, you know, and some people focus on zero waste and some people focus on buying, uh, textiles that are, you know, made in sort of, uh, ways that that consider carbon footprint and use of resources etc and now you know there are more fabrics that are being made from bamboo and is it bamboo yeah bamboo is what's slowly colonizing our backyard yes lots of bamboo around i'm glad they're figuring out some stuff to do with bamboo i mean i know there's like carpeting and all kinds of stuff that's good because we've got yes we do have quite the bamboo crop that we have to push back every year and it's weird if you've had any experience with bamboo you know like it sends out shoots and roots underground and so our bamboo is all sort of in the corner of our backyard and then you know you'll be like in the summer working in the tomato garden and all of a sudden there's like this little bamboo head like has you know shooting out of the ground and I'm just like ah. and it's 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 a it's it's tough it's it's invasive for sure so we spend a lot of time trying to keep it back keep it under control in any event so that that is one way of course practicing sustainable quilt making is looking for fabrics that um, are made in environmentally sustainable ways and um You know, and of course, a lot of people, and this is, I think, what I am most interested in, just as someone who thinks a lot about quilts and what have you, is that a lot of people practice sustainable quilt making by repurposing old textiles, you know, and and it might, in some way, some people use old quilts, some people use curtains or linens, go to the thrift shop and buy you know, old flannel shirts and jeans and cut them up. And it, and it produces, I think, some really beautiful quilts. Now, you know, I have a very uh, high tolerance for funky and wonky and even ugly. So, so I think there are some people who would not be happy with the quilts that, that come out. Although there are people who obviously make really beautiful quilts and, um, you know, from, from old stuff, but I like that. I like it a lot. I don't, you know, uh, I like the idea. I'm very notional, you know, I'm an, I, I like ideas. I like thinking about ideas just because I like thinking about something doesn't mean I do it. It's sort of like reading Taproot magazine and going, this is such a lovely way to live now. You know, where's my Netflix and where's my carry out pizza? Um, you know, but, but anyway, but I, I, uh, but I, I'm interested in how 
our practices shape us, and particularly spiritually, um, you know, because I think they do. I think the way we live in the world has, uh, you know, soul-making effects, you know, and, and the, the poet John Keats said that, you know, that, that it, while in life, you know, we're walking through a valley of soul-making, and I absolutely uh, concur with that, that we are shaped by, again, by the, our experiences, um, by what happens to us, and also by what we do, and by what we do in any kind of regular way. So that is kind of what I'm writing about in the scene, and also kind of collecting uh, quotes, and I joined Zach Foster's Quilty Nook community, which I like a lot, and it's very funky and wonky. It's, it builds itself like as a home for creative misfits, and um, and, and I really, I, I like Zach Foster a lot. He is a big practitioner of sustainable quilt making, and he's he's really an artist, and, and that's how he talks about himself as, as an artist who finally found his medium and quilts and uh so anyway it's it's a really nice kind of chilled out community i think there it's a it, you have to pay to be in it it's like seven dollars a month and uh and you know and it's got about 400 members and and as usual with these kind of things it's like there's probably a couple dozen who are pretty active so it's a nice place to be so you know i i put out a question about uh, if, if, how people felt when they were working with uh, textiles that had been, you know, created by other people or handled by other people or worn by other people and got some very nice responses that all, you know, that I'm incorporating into the zine. The thing for me, you know, like when you're making a magazine, obviously there are magazines that are, they're not particularly visual. You know, the New Yorker, aside from the cartoons, I mean, the New Yorker has some great art, you know, and their illustrations, but there's also just pages uh, after pages of text um, you know, but you do have to think about the visual elements and it sounds a little funny to say as a quilter, that's, you know, not my strong suit, but you know, if I could just make a quilt and, you know, incorporate that into the zine, that would be great. But, uh, I'm playing around mostly with block prints. This is something or, or, or stamps really that I'm making. Um, you know, I did take that class in November on stamp making and have been messing around with that a lot. Uh, I, I really like printing, um, except for how dirty my hands get or how inky. And um, I wish there were a great easy way just to get that ink right off. It, it comes off after uh, yeah, after I take my shower. But yeah, so that's uh, I'm fooling around with that. So that's certainly quilt related. And I'm calling the zine Hands All Around. Hands, H-A-N-D-S. Hands all around, which is the name of a quilt block. I just I picked up uh, my Jenny Byers quilt and encyc- quilt block encyclopedia, and just went through the index. And as soon as I landed on that, I'm like, oh, I like that. And so I'll put, I've I've made a, a mock-up of a cover. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But um, uh, you know, and I'll probably once I'm finished, I'll, you know, I'll probably sell it for three dollars. Uh, the man and I were talking about putting an Etsy shop together, which we could sell, you know, Margaret Goes Modern and Birds in the Air, but um, you know, so it might be like a Milton Falls Media Etsy shop. Milton Falls Media is our is our publishing company, um, you know, and just but not charge. Uh, this is not a money making venture, but it does cost money to to print and ship. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll keep you posted on that, but I'm enjoying it. 
because it is something I've always wanted to do, again, to write in a sort of a, a creative way, but a, a non-fictional way, uh, uh, which given, hence the name creative nonfiction. But, to, you know, I have written some essays about quilt making and that I just posted on the Off-Kilter Quilt blog. There's one that I probably will put in a zine about why I make quilts, and that is a piece of creative nonfiction. Um, recently, uh, a, a young woman I met via the uh, Quilty Nook uh, shared an essay that she was working on about uh, mending her uh, quilt that, that was made by her great-great-grandmother, so someone she never met, um, and the, there is a, a section or a, or an interest group in, in the Quilty Nook about, called, I think, called Narrative Thread. And uh, people who are interested in writing post in there. And so a lot of people asking people to take a look at their CVs um, or their artist statements, I guess. And, and this young woman said, would, would you want like to read my my essay and I was like okay I'll read it I mean I work with writers all the time young writers and people writing college es- college essays and what have you um, and it was a, and it was a really it was a nice essay and I gave her some feedback and she revised and posted it on her blog and um, and, and and I was just I was so happy to help her because I was so happy she was doing this kind of writing and I know she's interested in doing more but I love reading about quilts but I I, I you know academic writing is academic writing and I don't find it particularly pleasurable. Um, but I do find non, you know, nonfiction, well-written nonfiction, pleasurable, and I love reading essays. So, anyway, so I want to do more of that kind of writing. And you know, for a while I thought, well, maybe I could get it published here or there. But then I thought, nah, I'm just going to do it myself again because I'm not trying to establish a career as a quilt writer. Um, other, you know, I mean, obviously I publish quilt fiction and and that I, you know, and I and I hope to. A profit from that and have profited from that but um yeah this is kind of more recreational writing and I don't think there's a place for it in the you know in quilt magazines you know there's just not which is too bad um there's a I'm sure I've talked about this over the years there's so much more writing of this kind about knitting and and I my, the the main reason I can think of is that knitting is meditative. Uh, you know, it's just so so you could whereas you know as we say knitting is knitting is sitting, quilting is moving because we go between our machine and our ironing board or design board right and just around the cutting board all our boards. <laughs> um, you know, so you you really in this you are moving a lot. Um, when you're quilting, whereas knitting, you're sitting, and it can be um, incredibly meditative, and I have had some very nice hours spent knitting. Um, I can't do it as much anymore because I get get creaky, and my back gets hinky, and all that, but um, I, you know, it, it is a very pleasurable activity, and it is a good thinking activity, so that is my theory. We, we quilters, we're just too much on the go, no time to stop. Um, anyway, so that is that is what I am up to um, at this very moment. Right now, I'm sitting in the front room. Travis, the quilt dog, always by my side. It is a rainy day, and uh, he is disappointed because he did not get his W-A-L-K. And I don't think the rain's going to let up, but I'm going to go out into it. 
here I need to drop off books at the library and stop by the grocery store etc etc and last night I made carnitas for dinner and they were very very good but there was not enough for a two-night meal the the two-night meal that I planned on so I could just make eggs for dinner tonight if I want and I might and I might uh, do some collards because I like doing collards try to eat a lot of collards every day try to eat my greens um, so you know I could you know maybe I'll do that I could do collards and roasted dice you know chop up some sweet potatoes and roast them which ooh sweet potato fries those are really good and they sound decadent but they're not because you bake them and if you don't put too much oil on them they're, they're quite a nice treat yes would you like to plan dinner with me but still I want to run out to the store and do these things and and travel accompany me to the door quite eagerly and then will feel betrayed when I leave him behind so send good positive vibes to poor poor Travis um yeah yeah he's just dependent on us to get him out and about but I don't walk in the rain I'm just not that dedicated all right I'm rambling on you're used to it but nonetheless I shouldn't do that to you so I'll be back later quilt diary day two it is Sunday February 27th my heater has just blown on so we're gonna have a little white noise until uh, we get the house back up to 72 degrees and then it will stop and right now you get to live with the white noise I live with uh, so often but you know I, I I don't complain about the weather and I don't complain about the white noise that my house is filled with it will be nice it will be spring soon and I will sit on the porch and you will hear birds instead of a rush of vague abstract sound it'll be good for both of us um there, this fall i saw a movie i didn't watch the whole thing i watched a, a bit of it and now like i can't even remember who starred in it and it was somebody i like maybe mark ruffalo i don't know but it was about a guy who uh, lived in new york and his job was to go into people's apartments um, and help them deal with their sound issues. And sometimes it was just balancing out the sound. Uh, maybe there was a refrigerator that hit at a, you know, whined at a certain pitch. And what could you do about that? Could you fix it? Or could somehow that sound be balanced? I'm making all that up in terms of the issues. But that was, that's the general idea of it. And, and when I saw that, by the way, did you just hear my elbow crack? Oh, my goodness. Um, but I saw that. And I thought, that is what I need. I need to find a sound person, an acoustics person, whatever you would call it, to come in and perhaps come up with some solutions, not necessarily to counteract the white noise, but to muffle it. Um, white noise is kind of muffled to begin with, but to, to do something about it, to do something about it. So, um, yeah, I need to start asking around. And that is the good thing about the neighborhood I live in. I live very close to Duke University. So it's a bunch of eggheads around here. Somebody who I cross paths with, on my morning walk or somebody on the neighborhood listserv would know um, what to do or who to call and uh, you know what if you're my age which is 57 rapidly approaching 58 pretty much 60 as soon as you say who you're going to call then the Ghostbusters theme starts playing in your head I am looking out on a gray cold rainy Sunday morning and it's uh, yeah, and, and again, don't complain about it. It just is. We are Zen-like Buddhists around here. Yeah, 
And but I'm saying that the dogwood tree, there's blossoms, or I don't think it's the dogwood, but it's it's one of our trees that has very pretty pink blossoms. Like a little early for that, but you know, the other day I checked our uh, last frost date, which for years has been April 15th, and I've known that for years, but I always check. And this year they've changed it to April 5th. I don't think I'll be putting out tomatoes on April 5th because um, you you know the weather is is in general. I was going to say, in real life, it's funky, and now it's even funkier. I think this is still real life, but, you know, and of course, uh, it's a little less stable in the last five or ten years, but even when things seemed fairly stable and predictable weather-wise and seasonal change-wise, there was always, you know, always were a little careful about that April 15th day, that uh, last frost day, because you knew that there could be a last frost on, on April 24th, and you wouldn't put anything too delicate out. But I am looking forward to uh, planting my tomatoes. I think we're going to buy plants. Uh, I will start my sun golds, my little candy tomatoes, um, from seed. And I might start those this week. Um, but in the last couple of years, we've ordered plants, I think from Burpee. But now that you know we can go shopping again, we'll probably go to our local uh, nursery and buy the plants we we for the most part we do the vigorous hybrids i went through a period where i did a lot of heirlooms um but heirlooms uh, they're beautiful and they're interesting they're they are not as vigorous um and they're also if i want heirloom tomatoes i can go to the farmer's market and uh buy some and i am the kind of person who has like eight tomato plants um, that's not including my sun golds, which last summer I grew in pots. So it was really fun, um, big pots. And uh, yeah, but I will still go to the farmer's market and buy more tomatoes because I cannot get enough tomatoes. And this year, I'm going to do a much better job of uh, making tomato sauce and then freezing it, which uh, you know I did a little bit of toward the end of last summer, but for some reason didn't really get into that. And that is the nicest thing in the world to do in December or cold, miserable, not that we complain of the misery, February, um, is to get out from the deep freeze uh, a bag of uh, tomato sauce that you froze uh, in the summer. And it tastes like summer. I don't know if you know that Greg Brown summer uh, song called uh, Taste a Little the Summer. Grandma put it in a jar. Do you remember Greg Brown? He played on... uh, Prairie Home Companion all the time, and uh, I think had a real heyday in the 80s, kind of folky, funny, really some very beautiful music, and uh, I actually have seen him a couple times live. Maybe I'll listen to some Greg Brown music today. And now as I'm saying that, it's like, is it Greg Brown? Is that the right name? This is where I am. Yesterday, and we will talk about quilts at some point here, but uh, yesterday, I got together with one of my college roommates, Caroline, uh, who we, we realized, I just realized this yesterday morning before I saw her, that we have, in, in, in August, we will have been friends for 40 years, and we have stayed in touch. Um, more recently, I feel like in the last five years, um, and, and more uh, in an in-depth way, in that we write each other letters at Christmas, and I don't know when this started. I really think it's the last five or six years. That's just a, here's a, a, a catch up. 
um, you know, here's what, what went on with my family this year. Here's what went, what's going on with me. And that's been delightful. I've not seen Caroline since 2005 when my friend Audrey, another one of our roommates, um, and I drove to North Myrtle Beach where her parents had a condo. I don't know if they still have it. Um, and we went to the beach for a weekend. And that it was lovely. And here's the thing. People don't really change at their core. Our essences stay the same. Um, we mature, um, and you know, with any luck, we're you know we become less jerk-like. Uh, that, it was funny seeing Caroline yesterday because it was just Caroline who I've known since I was 18 years old, and um, you know, and, and she was never a jerk. But we were 18 together and trying to figure things out, and she's like, "Oh, you were just so cool." I'm like, "I was not cool. Um, I was trying to figure things out, and I just had." had a good game face and you know for, to me Caroline was fabulous she's from South Carolina she has one of these beautiful southern accents um you know southern accents I should say are very regional and even within states like when, within North Carolina I think there are three distinct accents and really four when you throw in the Outer Banks and five when you throw in sort of the native um, American, uh, Southern, Eastern, Coastal, Southern accent, you know, and, and, um, yeah. And so the movies drive me crazy because someone, it doesn't matter. Someone's from Georgia, Arkansas, Texas, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, they all sound like this. And it's like, no, that's not how Southern accents work. It's, they're really strong regional distinctions but Caroline has a beautiful accent she's a prosecuting attorney for the the district attorney's office um, and I could I would love to see her in court because she was a theater major um, no she wasn't she did a lot of theater I think she was a sociology major um, but quite fabulous and just this was you know early 80s we started college in 1982 and uh, you know so very kind of John Hughes kind of Molly Ringwald fashion was probably maybe a yeah that may have been more 84 85 but anyway Caroline Caroline predated that um but just wonderful clothes she's still really stylish and now I'm talking like her I'm talking like Caroline she doesn't really talk like that um and I, and so we were, and I, and we actually yesterday we had lunch and her daughter Maggie was with us and she's a wonderful young woman makes you feel um, optimistic about the future if people like Maggie are going to be in charge of it and uh, we went to a consignment shop and in uh, in downtown Durham uh, very fun and uh, so we were of course talking about fashion and I am not fashionable but I love fashionable people so. Um, yeah, so we and and, and I, just, I always loved how Caroline dressed and um, just again kind of the, the high fashion, low fashion, a whole mix of things. Very thrift shop. Um, imagine Molly Ringwald in pretty and pink, that kind of style. That was just so fun. And she was saying, "Oh, I was just putting on a show." She she was a debutante in South Carolina and was trying to be kind of anti debutante. But, uh, you know, so we were talking about how, uh, you know, how you present yourself at that age and what's really going on in the inside. Two very different things. Anyway, um, just had a, we had a, a wonderful time, had lunch, and then went to this one thrift shop called Gibson Girl in Durham. And then we went to the Scrap Exchange. 
and looked at clothes, looked at books, and one of the things I had on my list was pillows because um, I need new th throw pillows for my couch in the living room. I don't want to buy them. I want to, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's like I don't want to make them either. <laughs> but I, th uh, anyway, but what I did find at the scrap exchange, I found two really large pillows, and what was great, Caroline actually found them for me. But they were zippered, and so we opened them up, and they're really nice pillow forms. So I can make an, an envelope pillowcase. And so I actually bought a, some curtains. They were single panels of curtains, really cute fabric, and that would work with my couch. And so I'm going to try to do that. Um, now, the, the possibility that these two pillows, which are now sitting here with me in the front room against the shift robe, um, will just stay there forever is really good. But... Uh, but who knows, maybe that's what one of the things that I'll do today is work on that. Um, but it was fun, and, and again, trying, you know, and it, it was good to be with a young person, not that I'm not around young people all the time, having sons and students and what have you, but, you know, to just remind me, it's like, yeah, I, I do want to live in a way that creates less waste and is mindful of future generations, and it's also fun to make stuff, so I'm hoping... Uh, that I really will uh, recover these pillows, and they're they're nice and they were clean, you know. So that and they, I don't know what kind of process stuff goes through when it's donated to the scrap exchange, um, but uh, yeah, it, 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 they look in good shape. So that was very fun, um, but it's just fun to be with an old friend, and um, you know who you've known for a long time, and you know at at our age, which is. 57 almost 58 pretty much 60 you're much gentler with people you're much less judgy and critical than you were when you were 18 and insecure um and so that was that was very nice they were in town to see a play to see Hades Town, which i guess is a musical that's at, at the durham uh durham performing arts center which is a very nice venue so anyway um but it was fun looking around the scrap exchange after they needed to go back to their hotel and get ready to go out for for dinner we had spent about four hours together which is really pushing my limit of sociability i would have continued on with them for the rest of the day it was, it was so much fun and it was fun having maggie there um just because it's fun being around a young person um and uh, who is very bright and wonderful, she, beautiful girl. Uh, you know, she was such a tribute to Caroline and Caroline's parenting. It did mean we probably did not revisit the more salacious moments of our youth. Not that there were many, but there might have been a few. Um, but it was, yeah, it just, it, it was neat. It was, a, it was a neat day. But after they left, I went over and looked at... Uh, the actual the fabric section, Scrap Exchange at this point is two big buildings, and one is books and textiles. Uh, not, I mean, like, not textiles like fabric, uh, but like uh, handkerchiefs and um, curtains and tablecloths, which actually is, is fun to look at as as. Well, if, if you're thinking about repurposing and upcycling and all that for your quilt making. But then in the other building, they actually have fabric bundles and um, all kinds of stuff. I didn't buy anything. I think by that time, I, I was uh, just kind of tired and kind of ready to move on. But it was fun looking around and thinking about, um, I don't know, future projects. But one project at a time. 
Right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but you know, one of the neat things is after that, this in the same shopping center, it's the Lakewood Shopping Center in Durham. It's one of these really monstrosities of an old, old-fashioned shopping center. I think was probably built in the early 80s, just really one of the ugliest places in Durham. It does have um, the Food Lion that's very nice that I like to go to, and it has Freeman's Creative, uh, my favorite local craft shop. Where I, uh, When I buy new fabric, I try to go there, and it's especially wonderful because Amelia, the owner, has a huge line of Ruby Star Society fabrics. And, you know, I have never been one of these people who follows particular designers. Um, you know, the, the, I, the only one I could really even recognize, you know, um, would be Kay Facet um, and probably Tula Pink and maybe Amy Butler. But, you know, they're all very, very distinctive, loud kind of fabric designers, all of whom do work that I like a lot. But, you know, uh, it's always interesting me to me when I uh, go to a, a quilt guild meeting, you know, meeting of the Triangle Modern Quilt Guild, um, and, and see, you know, no, I'm sorry, I'm distracted because I'm like, have I mentioned that the quilt con is going to be in Raleigh in 2024? I think I might, might've mentioned that last time, but anyway, so when I go to a guild meeting and, and there is this discussion, particularly, I think among the younger women about fabric lines uh, not just designers, but the, their new lines and know them by name. And it's, and it's just like, that's so much, it's too much information for me. I'm overwhelmed by it. But I will say that the, the Ruby Star Society designers, there's a core group. I love their work and I love that fabric line. And, and the, I mean, it's a lot of different lines within the, un, under the, the, the collection see how well I speak on these things, <laughs> whatever. It, it makes me very happy to walk into Freeman's Creative and see a, a, a really almost a wall of, of Ruby Star Society stuff. And they also carry Moda Bella Solids, which is my solid of choice right now. So it's, uh, that's uh, when I buy new stuff, that's where I go. But what was really nice is Amelia, the owner, was there. First of all, it was really nice. I had a very nice chat with Molly, one of the employees, and we were ch- chatting about printmaking and garment sewing and fabrics and all of that. And we, ch- you know, just for about 10 minutes and it was really fun. And then Amelia was there and I was telling her one of the things I was looking for, Curated Quilts is doing a, a challenge. Um, they do them periodically. And this one the, is, is about uh, repurpose doing a, a, I think it's a small quilt. I really think it's like 14 by 14. So it's not even really a quilt. Um, I guess it, it could, you could do it. Um, uh, as a quilt and maybe you're supposed to um but it's not going to cover up your even your lap I don't think unless you're really tiny it would cover up Travis it's a Travis sized quilt um and the but the the fabric that they are saying base it base the colors even if you don't use this fabric in your upcycled quilt um do jump off these colors and it was for Ruby Star Society I want to say it's candle like candle wick candlelight ocean and wave um beautiful colors i really like a very muted blue green and uh, i don't know the the secondary color might be like a a a wheat kind of color um a sort of a grayish gold i'm so helpful and just (laughs) 
describing this anyway um and and but amelia had just done gotten a lot of new ruby stars and even some of the fabrics in that line but not this particular colorway and so she's like well i'm doing an order on monday i'll put it on there you know and i thought that is so nice you know to have a local shop this is the great thing about local shops um is that you can walk in and say yeah i was looking for this and the owner of the shop goes oh okay i'll go ahead and order that and I'll like, and she's like, I'll just email you when it comes in. And I was just like, how cool is that? I mean, it was nice just to walk in. I, you know, I just walked, popped in because I was in the neighborhood, um, didn't buy anything, and but chatted, and um, you know, and the, the owner ordered something for me. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to buy the whole bolt. Uh, I'll probably just buy a yard, but um, you know, someone else will buy the rest. The stuff sells out like nobody's business. Um, I thought, what a nice thing. This is the, you know, we, we could have a long discussion slash debate about the importance of buying local. Um, it's, it's a, we live in a global wor- world. Obviously, there's lots of stuff we can't buy locally. There's a lot of stuff that it might not make sense and to buy locally, although I'm not, you know, but, you know, and it's also really expensive. Uh, you know the prices um they are i think more realistic in some ways when you shop locally but when you can do it the you know uh, you can build relationships i think when you shop locally especially when you're buying from the 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 creator or you know in the shop from the owner there's something really nice about that and i try to do it when i can i can't do it all the time um and you know I, i i watched this um, video. I can't remember if I talked about this in the last cult diary or earlier, but it, it's uh, with now I'm not going to remember her name, although she's someone I have interviewed and like very much. She's a modern quilter. And, and it's a very short video about sustainable quilt making, and it's going to drive me crazy. Hold on. It's Carol Lyle Shaw. Carol Lyles Shaw. And she just has a, it's a video that she put out last year called Sustainable Quilting Intro, May 2021. It's like four minutes. But one of the things that I like that she says is basically, it's, it's, you can't do it perfectly. Don't go into it thinking, I'm going to have zero waste all the time. Um, you know, just do what you can. Start somewhere. And I really like that. I like when people give you permission to be imperfect because that's, uh, I, I do that. I am imperfect without permission, but I like when people understand our humanness and don't make demands that we'll never be able to meet. Um, but this brings me to the thing that um, I wanted to talk about. And I, I, th- I feel like I did not segue beautifully into this, but I do want to talk about it, and I feel like I've talked a lot already, um, so I want to move on. But one of the things that I have been thinking about, and it's crazy, but is doing some of my own dyeing, um, fabric dyeing. Now, a couple of years ago, obviously pre-COVID, um, a, a member of our guild, Kelly, did a workshop on dyeing your own fabric. She does this. Um, and she did a great job. She, she brought in pieces probably of, of muslin or cotton. I don't know. I mean, muslin is cotton, but maybe a tighter weave than muslin. But she had already pre-treated with a mordant. I'm, I'm trying. 
don't I sound like I know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what I'm talking about. I know you have to pre-treat fabric that you're going to dye with. I think it's a mordant that uh, makes the dyes hold to the fabric. And she'd done that. And then she also had made dyes out of avocado peels. Avocado peels, and apparently avocado stones, make beautiful pink dye. And so we had so we had that, and I can't remember there was something else she brought. There were other colors, um, and so we did a, a, a workshop, and actually we were able to dye our own fabrics, and it was lovely. It was really nice. Now I am someone, I may have m- mentioned this before. I'm very messy, and that is the thing that has kind of kept me from do you know uh, doing this or exploring dyeing more you know, vigorously perhaps. And, and I've messaged with Kelly about it. And ba- I'm like, I basically, if I'm going to dye my own fabrics, I need to be standing naked in the middle of a field, right? Because I'm such a messy person. But you know, I do have a garage and it's a, a freestanding garage. And it's got a lot of space. Although now the man got a new to him car about a year ago and he actually parks it in the garage. We've never parked our cars in the garage. But this this car it's it's an it's probably the nicest car we've had. Again, got it used, but now it's like why not buy used? You know, it's like I think we'll always buy used cars. Once we started doing it, it's like there's no turning back. They're as expensive as new cars, quite frankly. Um or almost nearly in any event, but I do have a space I could set up and, and, and work in the garage, naked if need be, um, which, you know, the man might like. I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I've been thinking more about it. And one of the reasons I started thinking about it is there's someone on Instagram I follow who I really like a lot. Her name is Jess Bailey. You may have heard of her. Her account is uh, Public Library Quilts. And she is someone, she's an interesting person. She's, I mean, I think she must be under 30. She is a historian, an art historian. She's American from California, but studying in London right now and got into quilting just a few years ago. Uh, We recently did uh, an interview with her for the Quilt Alliance podcast which is called running stitch and i say we just as an organization but uh our, the host of running stitch is yannikin smucker which is one of the best names ever um and she interviewed jess um and, and it was wonderful and she uh, just seems like uh, just seems like a wonderful person and she got into quilt making i think over covid which I, a number of people did and um but she comes from a family of makers and had, I think, a grandmother who quilted. But I, she, um, a lot of her fabrics are plant-based dyed fabrics, and they're beautiful. And and I've been looking at them, and, you know, they're just, there's a way that they, I say, the way that they deal with the light. There's something about how they absorb and reflect light uh, that just is really stunning and her you know she makes quilts in pretty traditional patterns I mean a lot of just patchwork you know uh eight patch kind of I don't know if eight patch is right but yeah maybe anyway pretty straightforward pretty traditional but there's something about the fabric that she uses that just I don't know. It, it, it's, it speaks to my soul. It's very aesthetically appealing and satisfying to me. So I think that um, 
yeah, it made me think, I want to try this. So as I'm looking across my barren front yard and what I'm, I'm looking out the window, let's see if I can paint a verbal picture for you. So immediately right outside my window is, is the front porch, which uh, it's a nice porch. It's not screened. It's really, it's to call it a veranda would be to really be gilding the lily or not, well, gilding the, the red bricks. It would be overstating that, but it does, it's about from this window, I would say, let's say it's a, it, it runs the length of the front of the house and is maybe six feet long. So let's say whatever the length of the house wide and six feet long and um, maybe not even that. And, but it's nice. It's kind of, it's got a tile. I, I should just give you a picture, but it's nice. Um, of course it's, it's North Carolina. And if you don't have a screen on your porch, you're not going to sit on the front porch. Also, if you have a dog who you, you don't let roam and who also gets very upset if you go sit on the front porch without him. I don't do a lot of front porch sitting. If I do, Travis will actually just stand at the window. Like he'll put his paws on front paws on the windowsill and watch me. So anyway, so there's that. Then there's this row. And so and the porch is probably like three feet off the ground. Maybe, yeah. So other, uh, and, and then there's a row of those most scraggly shrubs. Um, oh, yeah, they are... Uh, they, yeah, they 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 probably should just be pulled out. The man pruned them pretty severely a while back, and I'm not sure that they've quite recovered, or maybe they just need to be repruned. But it's just sad. And then you have an expanse of treeless, uh, somewhat barren, but for little patches of moss um, yard, and then and that only stretches for maybe 14 feet, and then you get to what I call our front yard puddle, which is. Uh, or pond, it's not a puddle, it's a pond, but that has trees and undergrowth and vines, and I would not step foot in there in the summer because of the copperhead situation around here. Um, and then, yeah, and then the yard slopes down, into uh, also just a lawn, what, what goes for lawn, um, down to the road. So it's actually, it's a fairly large yard, but it doesn't feel large because of the, the pond of trees and bushes and vines in the middle. And there's also on either side, um, and I can see them from here, uh, are magnolia trees, which are uh, beautiful trees. Um, although they do help keep this house a little bit damp, I think. Anyway, that's my problem, not yours. So, but it's it, that expanse of kind of barren, uh, uh, yard right out, out from the scraggly bushes uh, that I'm thinking about putting in some raised beds and growing plants. See, this is all going full circle here. Um, uh, like uh, marigolds, which are very easy to grow, obviously, but coreopsis and some other things. <laughs> I can't think of what they are. I just ordered some seeds, but but that would be good plants for uh, dyeing. Uh, if I want to dye fabrics. So at, at the very least, I'll start with a little dyeing garden. That sounds bad. <laughs> a dyeing, soon to be dead garden. No, but, but grow some plants uh, that could use be used for natural dyes. And so even if I don't end up doing any dyeing, uh, I could save stuff and give it to people who are interested, like my friend Kelly. Um, but also there's, obviously there's kitchen stuff, like uh, onion uh, skins and avocado peels. I eat a lot of avocados. 
and it's kind of it's it's fun to think about. So that is my latest plan to uh yes, to go to the quilt exchange, not the quilt exchange, the scrap exchange and buy fabrics to repurpose uh by dyeing them beautiful colors from nature. So yes, there we go. Brought it back to quilts. Um <laughs> in my own rambly way. So, but one of the things, the other thing I want to talk about in terms of uh, Jess of Public Library Quilts, it's interesting, she has gained a huge following in a very short period of time. And I was thinking, I was wondering why she, how she did this. And uh, I think one is that she's making these quilts that are beautiful. I think a lot of people are interested in sustainable quilt making and using natural dyes and all the, all the kind of stuff that she does. She's also interested in quilt history. And this interests me so much as someone who's had a long interest in quilt history. Um, I think I'm seeing among some younger people in the quilt world this interest. Um, and, 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 in some way, the way I see this interest manifesting itself is in an interest in connecting uh, with quilters from an earlier age. I think it's an interest in women's history more than an interest in, say, the development of chemical dyes in the 1920s and 30s, right? It's really a curiosity and a connection to uh, the women who made quilts before us. And that is my interest, too. My interest has always been in the stories of quilt makers, and that's one of the reasons why I write quilt fiction, and I wrote Friendship Album 1933, um, which, by the way, if you've never heard of that, (laughs) is right now available on iTunes, the whole, uh, all 50 chapters of it, all 550 pages of it, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, it's a very that was much longer than I. Uh, I don't think I sat down to write a book that was 550 pages, but I did, um, and it is still available for free at some point. I think, as I think I've mentioned recently, it probably is going to go beyond behind a, a paywall, but for now it's free. But anyway, that's one of the reasons that. Uh, I wanted to write it because I was interested in exploring these uh, women's lives, women who were making quilts in the early 1930s. Um, You know, that's an interesting time, although as it turns out, the the novel Friendship Album 1933, the women in the story are impacted in different ways by the Depression, and two of the women are wealthy and weren't impacted, and that was an interesting thing that I learned by you know, reading uh, uh, about the Great Depression as I was writing the book was that, that some people were not hit very hard at all. Some industries weren't hit very hard at all, and other people were absolutely wiped out. So, uh, in any event, yes. And so, uh, but I am interested in what seems to me a newfound interest in quilt history. Um, yeah, by by some young some younger folks and the way that they're approaching their interests, the way that the the things that they are emphasizing, the things that resonate with them about quilt history. I think it's really neat. So I I feel like Jess, you know, is connecting, is hitting on a lot of different (laughs) cylinders, quite frankly. But the thing that I think that she does beautifully is create community and does it in a way that she is a part. I think Bonnie Hunter 
does this as well. She creates community and is also a part of that community. There are other, so let's say, thought leaders in the quilt world right now who are interesting people and have interesting social media and interesting ideas, but are not responsive to the members of whatever community forms around them. Do not reply to Instagram comments. Do not, uh, don't even heart. You make a comment on their thing. They don't even give you a little like, like, like I, I acknowledge the fact that you have commented. I posted last week um, something about Jess's QSOS running stitch interview. And of course I tagged her in the post and with, you know, within five minutes, she was like, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. You know, and I thought this is what community building is about. And you could say, well, this is also what politics is about. This is what, you know, maybe power building is about. But I don't have a sense of her as someone who is trying to accrue power in the quilt world, which some people do. Some people are. But I think she, I think she um, is really about building community. And that's what I think we need as people um is more community building and less uh power grubbing and more you know especially as quilters there are different worlds in the in the quilt you know there there's there's subcontinents <laughs> there are states within the quilt country and you know and and there are real and there are very you know they're, they're folks from all different walks of life and uh, of course in the last few years there's been more division and you see it everywhere and uh, I don't know maybe it's inevitable but I like it when we try to figure out what we have in common because I think as human beings we have more in common than not and I don't care what the politics are and you know and if your first response to that is no I don't have any I don't have anything in common with the people who voted for x or the people who voted for why, whatever, you know, it's like, let the, you know, I would just not only encourage you, but beg you to reconsider <laughs> because we do, we do, and we do have so much in common. So that's something I really want to celebrate community builders, um, in whatever worlds we're in and, and people who, um, yeah, who, who kind of really try to connect, um, and, and create spaces in which, you know, uh, we're all together and we feel like we are as, uh, you know, as both St. Paul and Burley Coulter of Wendell Berry's, uh, Port Arthur, I think it's Port Arthur stories. I want to say Port Arthur or Port William. Wendell Berry, the Kentucky writer is, grew up in either Port Arthur or Port William, and then he has created a fictional world around one of those places. But anyway, but, but that's what, you know, uh, he always has Burley Coulter, uh, say we are members of one another. We are members of each other. And as Burley Coulter likes to say, the only difference is, uh, there's them who know it and them who don't, you know, but, uh, I, th- I think that that is true. We are members of one another. So, uh, I always want to celebrate those people who are uh, making us, you know, making other people feel included rather than, than excluded. Um, those are my favorite people. So anyway, I'll, I'll put a link to, uh, I bet Jess has a website. I'll try to remember to put a link to that, but, but she is at public library quilts and just a a good person in the world today. All right. I'm going to finish up now. I have talked for a really long time and, uh, yeah, I don't even have much time left on my thing. So uh, I have gotten a lot of number, a, a lot of number, 
Yeah, good, good. I have gotten lots of nice comments, and I just want to uh, say hey to the people who commented on the last episode. So, hey to Jan, hey to Melissa G, who's an old friend. We go way back. Hey to Jackie and Linda, to Monica, um, to Noni, um, my loyal friend. Yeah, thanks to everyone who commented. I really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you who commented in your heads. I hear you. I validate you. You and I, we are, uh, we are members of each other. So, go forward. Make some quilts. Um, yeah, and uh, have a good week. It's, it's, spring is almost here. Not that we ever complain about the weather. But we're looking forward to spring. All right. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Off-Kilter Quilt. Come visit me online at offkilterquilt.com. Until next time, this is Francis. Remember, life is short. Quilt first. <laughs>